0: Welcome to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families, where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. I hope that by sharing my experiences, I can help you feel that you're not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. And I have great news to share with you. FASD Family Life Podcast has surpassed 20,000 downloads already. We only launched one year ago. Thank you for sharing the podcast with the people in your life and on your social media. I regularly hear from parents and caregivers just like you. If you have a question about something you've heard on the podcast, or you have a question you'd like me to address, you can email the show at FASDfamilylife.com, and I'll be thrilled to get back to you by email and maybe even have a video call with you to help work through some of those challenges. Now, be sure to catch every episode by subscribing to the FASD Family Life podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes will automatically appear in your phone, iPad, or wherever it is you get your podcast. And did you know that when you subscribe to FASD Family Life and when you rate or review an episode, you are helping other parents and caregivers just like you? Because your engagement in these ways signals to the algorithms that this podcast is relevant to people who want to know more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Well, here we are, my friends, in another episode well into season two of the FAC Family Life podcast, and I'm so grateful to be spending this time with you again today. Whether you're driving or listening at work um, or at home, whether this is your first episode or your 60th episode, I invite you to grab a nice hot cup of coffee with me as we chat parent to parent. And today we're going to get real as we talk about parenting. Parenting toddlers, and teens with FASD. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to pause for a moment and just talk a little bit about this new initiative I'm, I'm beginning, which is called the FASD Family Life Community. You may have seen that on Facebook. Uh, you may have already responded, and if so, thank you. That's awesome. Family, the FASD Family Life Community is an online community where we're going to have the opportunity to get together virtually in live meetups where we can see one another, we have talked to one another, and we can dive deeper into the content shared on the FASD Family Life podcast. I've heard from so many of you who say, I'm so alone. I'm Robbie, you're the only person I know who is raising kids with FASD. I was so alone until I heard this podcast. I don't know anybody else in my family or in my community. And I know from my personal experience, I have benefited so much from having my tribe, my friends who also have shared experience of raising children in adoption, raising children who have perplexing, challenging behaviors that nobody seems to understand, raising children who behave one way at school and a very different way at home and come to realize that in my mom group, all of our children were prenatally exposed to alcohol. And for most of us, we didn't know that going in and that's been really challenging. And I have benefited so much from having some very, very close friends who understand, who I can text at the drop of a hat to say, this is what's happening. And, you know, they can offer suggestions, but the most important thing they do is they just hear it. They sit with me. There's no judgment. And we do that with one another. I've heard from you that you don't have that. And so let's create that together. This is my invitation to you to help me create that community that you're looking for. So, this FASD Family Life community is a membership based community. The subscription is only $10 a month because I know it's so important that it has to be affordable. This comes out of your grocery budget. I know it does, just like it does for me. So, it's $10 a month. We're going to have monthly online meetings where we can talk more about the content and dive deeper into the subject matter of the FASD Family Life podcast. We can get to know one another, get to know other parents who have a similar lived experience. You know, out of this group might come your new best friend. I don't know, but you might create a little small subgroup that are your people that you connect with. That's my dream. That's my hope. As we go along and we create this community, I'm going to hear from you. What day of the week or weekend works best for getting together? I want to know that. What kind of content do you want? Do you want to have monthly get-togethers? Do you want to have it as a support group, a teaching opportunity? Do you want to have webinars where we dive deeper into some of the content, some of the what is FASD, what are effective strategies, what is brain-based parenting? There's a lot of things we can do, but I need you in the group so that we can learn and grow together. What is the group you want to have? So if you're interested in being part of the FASD family life community, membership is open for another limited amount of time. Uh, The first 50 members, the rate is only $10 a month forever. You'll be grandfathered into that rate. That's not going to change for you. Even if even if and when rates increase, uh, they won't increase for you. And so if this is something you're looking for, I welcome you. Come grab a cup of coffee with me and we're going to chat parent to parent. Our first online meeting is going to be Saturday, tomorrow. It's going to be a Saturday, April 9th. And that'll be for the people who've already enrolled and we're going to, you know, start to get together and build this community and learn what it is we want. If you miss that, that's okay. You can be part of the next meetup. We're going to develop this community together. If you're interested, you can message me on Facebook, Robbie Seal, or you can email me at FASDFamilyLife at gmail.com. Now in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the common challenges that we have, whether we're raising uh, toddlers or middle schoolers or teenagers with that BSD. There's some of the things that are, that are kind of consistent. And of course it, it grows and changes and it, it gets harder over time. Like, you know, I have to be honest with you, uh, raising toddlers with FASD can be very challenging. It can also be really quite lovely. It it depends on, you know, where they are in the spectrum, you know, what kind of, if any trauma experience they have, or, you know, were they in foster care, were they adopted, are they in their biological families, like what's happened in their lives. Every child is unique. Every child's experience is unique, but so oftentimes with kids with FASD, um, their toddlerhood isn't so challenging really um it's really more when our kids kind of get into school and there's more societal expectations on them and our own expectations on them to to you know act their age for lack of a better word that we really start to see challenges develop and then into the adolescence it gets really hard and that's okay because when we know better we can do better i always think it's better if we can be prepared for what's coming And I remember when my children were diagnosed with FASD, I sat there in that big conference room with all the experts and and they were telling me uh, about the lifelong struggles and the necessity for having wraparound supports for the kids and for myself. And um, I remember sitting there at that boardroom and looking at all those people. I don't even know how many, 12 experts, you know, in the room. And I said to them, you know, I'm new at this. You've done this before. You you have seen how this goes. Can you tell me how this trajectory plays out? Can you tell me what to prepare for when my children are adolescents? Because of course, my twins were only seven at the time. I didn't get what I was looking for. I was looking for a playbook. I was looking for some real hard truths about what it could be. And I didn't get that. What I got was, I don't have a crystal ball and it's going to be hard. Well, I didn't prepare me very well, as you can well imagine. I was reflecting on that as I was preparing for this podcast, and it dawned on me that you know it's been ten years since I sat in that conference room, and I knew so very little about FASD ten years ago. Yeah, I'd, I'd gone to college, and yes, I was trained to be a child youth care worker, and many of those children were impacted by trauma and prenatal alcohol exposure, but we weren't prepared. At that time, we were told that, I was told that kids with FASD have, you know, a poor memory and aren't good at math. Well, you and I know that there's a lot more to FASD than that. And in the 10 years since my twins have been diagnosed and the countless hours of training I've gone to, or, or I've attended and the, um, conferences And the books and the webinars that I've attended, I've learned so much. And I've learned so much just in the lived experience, the day in and the day out of learning and growing while raising kids with FASD. And I think, man, I wish I would have known then what I know now. And that's part of the reason behind the podcast. I wanted a podcast to be the friend that I wish I would have had 10 years ago when I was so desperate trying to figure this out and trying to learn and trying to tame the chaos some of the things i've learned that i want to share with you today and whether you're raising teenagers or toddlers it applies one of the things i stumbled across way back then were the eight magic keys developed by a couple of moms who were also raising kids with fasd and this was developed my gosh in 1997 so uh, a long time ago but these are golden and and these are these were my first Building blocks of understanding what it was going to take to transform my family life and provide the kind of care my kids needed. Because, you know, if our kids are diagnosed with a medical disability, as FASD is, we're going to get after it, aren't we? We're going to dig in and learn everything we can. If your child had diabetes, I know that you would dig in and learn everything you could about diabetes. You would know how blood sugar spikes and lows impacted their learning and their behavior and their sleeping and their appetites. You would know all of that. You would know what foods to feed and what foods not to feed. And you would know about the importance of exercise and scheduling and routines and how illness will throw it off, throw off blood sugars. You would know all of that. And and you would tell everybody about it and you would have the teachers monitoring. Well, I think it's very much similar when we have a kid with FASD, a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, It's incumbent upon us to learn as much as we possibly can so that we can meet our kids in their complex needs. Can we change all the outcomes? No. Can we smooth the entire road for our kids? No. But we can do better so that our kids can do better. And some of those things I learned to do better were the importance of these eight magic keys. And let me give them to you just ever so briefly. And you've heard me say them before, and you I will always say these things because they are absolutely imperative. Number one, structure. Number two, concrete. When you are speaking to an individual with FASD, and it doesn't matter if they're 2 or 12 or 22, the language needs to be concrete. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Do not use sarcasm. Do not use metaphors. Do not use figures of speech. Use concrete simple to understand language. Doesn't mean we're talking down to, we're just being very clear, concise, and concrete with what we're saying. Number three, consistency. It's so important that we are consistent with our expectations, with how the routines and the structure runs, and that our responses are consistent because Individuals with FASD, a difficult time predicting how things are going to go. And that's because of executive dysfunction. It's because of difficulty with abstract reasoning, difficulty with memory, uh, difficulty with linking cause and effect, Uh, their own difficulty um, regulating their emotions and their sensory processing. All of these things become overwhelming and too much. And it's so challenging for them that if we can be consistent and our environments are consistent and our expectations are consistent, they can learn to settle down and and settle in. And we can just take off some of the variables out of their life. So structure, concrete language, consistency, repetition, so very important. Routine, simplicity, specific, and supervision. Just as you have to supervise your preschoolers, they don't get into harm's way. We need to supervise our teens so they don't get into harm's way. Again, because of executive dysfunction, meaning that they're not able to reason out pros and cons, risks, risk versus safety, reality versus fantasy, um, danger, danger. Uh, not able to reason out who is a safe person and who's not a safe person. Some even have challenges remembering that this person who hurt me before might hurt me again. So this is why these things are so imperative. Another thing that I've learned over time is that anxiety plays a huge role in the daily life of individuals with FASD. When I was first learning about FASD 10 years ago, it was thought that anxiety might've been kind of like a secondary characteristic, something that comes on as a result of a poor environmental fit, something that comes on because of um, many experiences of failure. Now it's more understood and anxiety is a primary characteristic of FASD. Primary characteristic means it's caused by the prenatal alcohol exposure. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an anxiety attack or felt very, very anxious. Imagine that every day. It's exhausting. It's wearing, And it diminishes your capacity to think, to reason, to be grounded, to have emotional regulation. Um, and it's exhausting. As I've learned and grown so much this year in speaking with so many adults who have FASD, I've learned in each and every one of them, that anxiety is a tremendous part of their daily experience. And that's really important for us to understand as we see our kids come home from school, for example, or toward the end of the day. And we're just like, why do they come in like a storm cloud? Why are they just ready to be in attack mode? It seems like, or why did they shut down? Big part of that is The exhaustion that they feel over the course of the day, because of course their brains work a lot harder to do what a child with a neurotypical brain would do. So their brains are exhausted and they've been wrestling with anxiety all day long. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I stick out? Am I drawing attention to myself that I don't want to draw attention to myself or the anxiety of feeling like, I know the teacher just said something, but I don't know what she just said. And I don't want to stick up my hand and ask because then I'm going to look dumb. Like All this goes on or I'm waiting for the bus and the bus isn't late. The bus is late. And I don't know if I'm going to miss my bus. And and then if I miss this bus, am I going to miss the next bus? I mean, our kids in junior high and high school are going through that. So by the end of the day, You know, when it looks like one little thing doesn't go their way and they blow up, a lot of that has to do with the exhaustion they're feeling and the anxiety that they've been carrying all day long. I didn't know that 10 years ago. I certainly know that now, and I can see that now in the daily lives of my kids. And when I can acknowledge that, my goodness, this behavior that I'm seeing, this kid that's in attack mode or this kid that's very dysregulated, this is really exhaustion and anxiety oh my goodness, then I respond so much differently. Yeah, it might sound the same. Their behavior might sound the same. There might be F-bombs. There might be threats. There might be a punch being thrown at somebody. But when I know it's anxiety-based, I respond so differently. I don't come down like a bag of hammers on them with, with consequences. No, I step in and say something like, I see this is hard for you. What do you need? Or just step in between the kids and keep space. The other thing I've learned too over the years is I have been watching COVID has been really helpful Is when I could have my kids home as you did. And that was really hard, the homeschooling and and trying to get other things done and trying to, you know, keep kids at home and um, schooled and engaged. But it gave me a really great insight too into the capacities. I see my kids being so capable at the beginning of the day and so much less capable at the end of the day. And I've learned to adjust my expectations to, um, not just their developmental level, which we talk about a lot, like so often dismaturity is a big part of FASD. Dismaturity meaning that scattered profile of development where physically a child is typical for their age, uh, maybe in their expressive language, they're above their typical age. Perhaps in their receptive language, they're a lot lower and their emotional and social uh regulation and their ability to problem solve, often half their age. And I know you'll know that if I say, you know, is your 10-year-old more like a five-year-old, you're gonna go, yeah, he is, she is. Very common. It's that scattered developmental profile. We call it just maturity. So as we're thinking about our expectations for our kids. You know, if we're ever saying something like he should know better by now, that's that's a clue to us to stop and check ourselves and go, no, we can't say that he should be able to by now because we can't measure our kids by their chronological age, nor by their peers, nor by their siblings. Each child is doing what they can as they can. And if it's not working for them, if they're not able to succeed, I think it's important that we ask ourselves what's going on for my child that they can't do this. A better way of saying that is what Dr. Ross Green says is kids do well if they can. When I take that lens and say kids do well if they can, and I consider dismaturity and I consider receptive language delays, and I consider trauma and attachment, and I consider anxiety, my goodness, I look at behavior so much differently. I wish I would have known then what I know now, but it reminds me of a story from about five years ago when uh, my my now 17-year-olds were about 12 years old. And their little brother would have been about nine. And they were all coming home on the school bus. And the bus driver waved over to me and, like, come over here, mom. I got something to tell you. And it tells me that, you know, there'd been a, a big kerfuffle on the bus and my kids had been swearing on the bus. So, of course, I'm not happy about that. They get off the bus and I'm like, everybody up to your rooms. And I come in the house and I'm clearly not happy. And as I'm going up the stairs to their rooms, um, you know, two of them peek out of their doors to say, I, I wasn't swearing. And I said to all of them, I'm not pressed. Um, swearing is inappropriate. That's not a nice way to speak to people. You're going to stay in your room. So I get this figured out. Well, interestingly, two of them were more, um, kind of apt to kind of come out of the room and say, but, but I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, and the one that didn't come out of her room, she was the one that was actually swearing. And, and, I got upset with her and and didn't give her a chance to give her side of the story. And as the evening went on, it was really wearing on me. And I was, you know, kind of fuming about it and ruminating over it. And then the words came to me, kids do well if they can. Kids do well if they can. It made me question, like, what else was going on there? What else happened that led up to her feeling like she needed to swear? So I, I went back to my daughter. And I apologized to her for like, I didn't even hear your side of it. What happened for you that you were so upset? And through her frustration and through her tears, she told me that she had been trying to defend her little brother. She was trying to get the bullies to stop harassing him and stop teasing him. And she told them to stop. Then she threatened them And then when they responded back in kind, then she started launching into swearing. And that's about when they got home. So I had misread and misinterpreted what had happened. I filled in the story and I filled in an intent that really wasn't there. It wasn't her intent to be vicious. It wasn't her intent to be inappropriate. It was her intent to protect her little brother. I learned something that day. I learned not to lay over a moral lens on on a given situation and not to ascribe an intent, my perceived intent behind it. I learned that day that, my gosh, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know why my kid did what she did. But if I can come to her and say, wow, that must have been a really hard situation for you. Tell me what happened. And she was able to tell me. That's a lot different than going, why would you do that? Because if I say, why would you do that? I'm going to get, I don't know, or they piss me off or I, I won't get, I won't get it. In recent weeks, I've had some conversations with parents about aggression that they're seeing in their children, whether those are preschoolers or uh, middle, middle childhood kind of ages, 10, 11, 12, and, and adolescents have been able to do some coaching and talking around aggression. I want to be really clear that aggression can be a really big and complicated um, matter for our young people who have FASD, because there can be so many different things at play, and so there certainly is not one size fits all. So if if I in my sharing have missed something, please do let me know. But I want us to understand that sometimes we can misread our kids' behavior when it's you know loud and. Um, physical and we might we might interpret that as aggression and maybe what that is is actually frustration or sensory overwhelm or exhaustion and and if we step into that with a with in a power struggle kind of a way, or we step into that and we're going to, you know, bring down the hammer of all sorts of consequences. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. And you've probably experienced that like I have, you know, using maybe traditional methods of parenting or strong behavior modification methods um, just don't seem to produce the results that we thought that they would have produced. And in fact, you know, the harder we try, the worse things get. Dan Dobosky was on the show a few weeks ago, and that's what he said about his son, Bill, like he consequence bill, because, you know, he didn't know FASD at the time and he didn't know how, you know, consequences just weren't very effective, especially, you know, two week groundings just weren't effective for our kids with FASD. Yeah, I've done that too. Dan Debowski was talking about that about that and how his own son Bill would come to him and go, but I'm being good right now. And you know, that's, that's the truth. And that's how our kids are because they live in the moment, but I'm being good right now. And you know, an hour ago yesterday, that's so long ago. And tomorrow is so long ago, but I'm being good right now. So yes, you are being good right now. And thank you for being good right now. Tomorrow we're going to start fresh and you start with a full cup of grace and a full cup of capacity. And we see where the day goes. Alcohol itself is an assault to that brain. It's a trauma to that brain and it changes the structure and, and function of the brain. And then as we add on, you know, mom's increased cortisol, her, her increased stress, maybe her poor health, her poor mental health, lack of maternal care, uh, all of these things add additional stressors to baby and cause further vulnerabilities in that developing brain that are going to be manifest in behaviors that, that we see, or, or rather they're symptoms of these brain changes. And so our kids will react a lot more quickly with a lot more frustration than a typical child because the changes to the brain in recent episodes, Dr. Jared Brown has been with us to talk about toxic stress and its impact on the brain and body. He's been with us to talk about the HPA axis, the stress response system of the the hypothalamus, the adrenal and the pituitary glands, and how that is impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure, trauma. And stress. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to those because Dr. Brown is the expert. And he's also talked to us uh, more recently about resilience and what we can do to improve and build upon resilience. And these are all really important things. But as we're thinking about aggression, we need to think about it being brain-based and not as a willful choice, but as a brain-based as this changed uh, to the To the brain. And so there's some things we can do environmentally. There's some things we can do in our response to our kids by remaining even keel ourselves by, by keeping ourselves emotionally regulated to not engaging in every argument and fight that we are invited to, you know, by our kids, just because they lob a a tone of voice or an aggressive or a um, hostile kind of word to us. We don't always have to volley that back to them. We don't always have to respond in kind. In fact, most often it's best if we don't um, because hostility and hostility are just going to create an inferno, not going to bring about any healthy result at all. Easier said than done. I know it's hard when your kids are yelling and swearing and maybe cussing you out and it's heartbreaking and and it takes its toll. If we can recognize that these um, behaviors, these symptoms are rooted in brain, rooted in perhaps their own stress response system. So they are actually reacting at a place of fear with a fight, flight, freeze. I know it doesn't look like fear. It sounds a lot, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a lot of emotional dysregulation because of imbalances in their own brain. Maybe there's other mental health uh, issues at play. You know, A lot of individuals with FASD, in fact, 93% of individuals with FASD will have a mental health co-occurring issue, um, be that ADHD, be that Tourette syndrome, be that another condition like autism. Uh, it, it could be any number of things. There are so many. There are 428 comorbidities um, of not just mental, but physical health disease and conditions and syndromes that can coexist with FASD. So it's never simple and straightforward. There's things that we can do to improve our family situation by taking care of ourselves, by being mindful of our own emotional well-being, and how we engage with our kids. But I don't want to be so naive as to say that it's all environmental. Uh, There's a lot that we can do environmentally, but you know, our kids are really complex individuals with FASD. Each one is unique. Each one has unique strengths and abilities and talents and are amazing people. And have very complex brains and bodies that need specialized care. Is our kid getting enough sleep? Because we know that over 90% of individuals with FASD also have sleep issues. And Dr. Jared Brown talked about that on a a previous episode as well. So that's well documented. And and you and I both know if we don't sleep well, we're not at our best. And so many individuals with FASD have chronic sleep problems. So that's, of course, going to impact their ability to be resilient and to handle stress and to bounce back on top of an already vulnerable brain and a highly sensitive central nervous system. We can't do this alone. So you may need a specialized pediatrician. You may need a developmental pediatrician. You may need a sleep coach. You may need an occupational therapist. You may need animal assisted therapy. Um, th- there's all sorts of things. You will you will need a mental health team as well, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Uh, perhaps that pediatrician is able to to manage medication well, but you will likely med- need medication for your child. Likely will need sleep medication. Maybe medication for ADHD. Maybe medication for anxiety or other emotional or rather mood disorders, mood stabilizers. I'm not a physician. I cannot and will not um, promote any particular kind of medication. What I can do is tell you that there's some really excellent research that you can look at and you can share with your team, FASD Medication Algorithm. Uh, the lead researcher on that was Dr. Mansfeld Mila, and that's available if you look up FASD medication algorithm. Also, if you want more information, if you look up can FASD, that's C-A-N-F-A-S-D dot that's the Canadian Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Research Network. And there's a, my gosh, there's so many papers on there, research on there, and documents for you to go and, and look at and find the answers you're looking for. Something that's used for some individuals who have FASD, uh, that have violent aggression. It's called Matthew's protocol and it's a particular medication cocktail used to stabilize the young person and, and help them manage that aggression. And of course, it's brain-based again, which is what we're always talking about, brain-based parenting, brain-based interventions. And that's what this is as well. There is research, there is help, there is, there are protocols in place. I'm going to put a note in the show notes as well to Matthew's protocol, as well as at FASD medication algorithm, which is developed by Dr. Mansfield-Mila to guide prescribing physicians, because we know that so often individuals with FASD have surprising or contrary results to medications as well. And so here's the research to back you up when you are looking for help for your child and, and information and documentation you can bring to your physician, your psychiatrist, your clinical support team that I hope you have. I was doing some work with a parent who was commenting that, that they, she notices um, more aggression in the evening as the day wears on as, as there's, I've noticed that too in my family. I've noticed that with, there's a lot of things that can go on there. Again, it's that brain fatigue from all day at school and the sensory overwhelm and the peer overwhelm being around people and the anxiety, and it all plays together to they come home and they are spent and they're tired. And, you know, you're going to get the brunt of it because you're safe and your family You also might notice, as I have, that uh, with some of my kids, I can see a really steep diminishing of their social capacities and their capacity to reason and have conversation as the evening wears on. And I mean, the difference between four o'clock and six o'clock in the evening is remarkable. So uh, we have really learned in our family to not expect appropriate engagement after 6 p.m., Uh, That's not the time for a family meeting. That's not a time for problem solving. That's not even a time for just social interaction with some of our kids. Others, it's okay, but some, it's just really not. Uh, They're done. And if we can just put a pin in it and just talk to them about it tomorrow when they're fresh, we gain a lot more ground that way, and we have a lot more successful relationship. It, it's also kind of coming to know who your child is, when's their best time, what's the best way to talk to them, and of course, being concrete is important. But tone of voice is very important too. If we come at our kids very strong, very direct, and very harsh, we're going to get a lot of pushback because that just that that signals threat, and we're going to get that fight flight freeze. So much more effective if we can come alongside and say, Hey, can I talk to you about something? And child may say, Am I in trouble? And that's a kid's natural response. Hey, can I talk to you about something? Oh, suddenly you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in the principal's office. But what if we could say, No, 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 you're not in trouble. I just want to talk to you about something. And again, this is a bit a bit of something of uh, Ross Green's work where it's collaborative parenting. Hey, I just want to talk to you about something. I've noticed that, you know, it's hard for you to have a conversation at the end of the day. What's that about? What's up with that? And your child might say like, I'm, I can't think, or my meds are worn off or I'm tired, or I need to be alone in my room. Those are all really legitimate. And it gives you a clue as to what's going on or, um, you know, whatever the problem is, you know, can I talk to you for a minute? And I, I noticed that getting into the shower is really hard for you. Um, what's up with that? And it might be, well, I want to watch my show before I have a shower, or I want to play Xbox for a while before I have a shower, and then I will, but I don't want you to boss me around. Okay, well, what can we do? What can we work out? And and so you might be able to come up with a collaborative plan for your kid. Of course, you're going to have to write it down, and you might have to write it down in lots of different places or on the whiteboard in the kitchen. So the child knows like, okay, this is the deal. I made a deal. And the deal is I'm going to play Xbox for 15 minutes, then I'm going to have a shower. And then I can come back and play Xbox for another 15 minutes. And, you know, I make a deal. So it's yes, when kind of stuff. And and we're working along with our kids rather than against our kids. That's made a big difference in our, in our family life. And not just my family life, but in the family lives, the lives of other families that I work with is taking this brain-based approach. These behaviors are signaling symptoms of something that's happening in the brain. These behaviors are signaling that there's a problem. I love that what Russ Green says, Dr. Russ Green says, kids do well if they can. What's getting in the way? Is it trauma? Is it fear? Is it exhaustion? Is it anxiety? Is it lagging skills? Um, So oftentimes we get a non-compliance because of non-competency. Also a beautiful Donna DeBolt phrase, non-compliance is from non-competency. What's that non-competency for? Again, rooted in anxiety, rooted in I don't understand the instruction, rooted in I can't remember, um, I don't know how to do this. Uh, And so if we can know that and break it down, no problem. Let's do this together one step at a time. Uh, that also teaches our kids that interdependence is really healthy and good. And that's a skill that they're going to need their whole life. And if we can teach that from a young age, that, Hey, I need your help. You need my help. This is a lifelong pattern that we're developing and so helpful and proactive for our kids. I guess I started this too with, I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I knew then that relationship over rules is more important relationship and understanding who my kids really are and what they need to fill their cups is so important. I have one that's very extroverted and I have a number of kids that are very introverted. So one size does not fit all. Uh, Each has their own set of skills, their own set of personality traits, their own set of strengths. And I need to honor that. Another thing that's really been key for me to understand. and, And I think you too, is that You know, our kids adopted into our families, fostered or kinship into our families, they take on the traits of our families. Nurtured certainly plays a role, but the traits of their biological families are vitally important for us to pay attention to as well. And our kids are really, I think, grafted into both trees. And so if as foster parents, adoptive parents, kinship parents, if we can cultivate healthy relationships with some members of their biological families, that's going to serve our kids really well. Of course we have to pick and choose just like we do with our own biological families, you know, who's toxic, who's healthy. We have to pick and choose who's safe. But if we can do that, and I recognize and respect that is not always possible. But it's also something I used to be really fearful of before I entered into this open adoption so many years ago. Didn't understand how important it was. But the biological family and that biological identity and that like, who do I look like? Who do I walk like? Why do I have the sense of humor? Just that core, that innate belonging is really important. And adoption doesn't change that. It adds to it, but it doesn't change it. And so that's a really big part of our kids' success and their and their legacy and the path that they're going to walk in life as well. Those are some of the things I wish I would have understood 10 years ago, but that's Okay. As I always say to you, and I say to myself, when we know better, we can do better. And that's the whole purpose of the FASD Family Life podcast is I share my experiences and my learnings, not only from my own personal life, but my professional life and my working with other families so that we can all learn and grow together in our understanding of FASD, brain-based parenting, attachment, trauma, so that really we can reduce the stress in our families improve our family cohesion and really improve the outcomes for our children who have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. As I wrap up this episode, I just want to say thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I I really counted an honor to be with you on your walk today, your drive today, having coffee with you today. I really appreciate that. Um, I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please just drop me a note and let me know that you enjoyed it. If there's other things that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, please let me know because I'm here to serve you. If you're interested in being part of the FASD Family Life community, you're absolutely welcome. Send me a message on Facebook or by email at FASDFamilyLife at gmail.com. In upcoming shows, we're going to talk more to Dan Dubovsky. That was a riot. Had so much fun talking with him. We're going to hear again from members of the adult leadership team of the FASD changemakers talking with some more experts and uh, researchers in the FASD community in our research and resources edition of the FASD Family Life podcast. So there's a lot of great stuff happening. If you haven't subscribed, do subscribe because again, you don't want to miss any episodes of the podcast. And I just have to say thank you for spending this time with me today. I know it's precious. And until next week, remember the struggle is real and so is success. I'll talk with you soon.